Welcome to ISS Corporate Solutions ESG Unlocked, a podcast that features engaging and insightful discussions with various ESG experts around the world. I am your host, Pamela Mutumwa. The topic for this episode is on sustainability. I will be discussing this topic with two guests, Cosmos Papadopoulos and Jude Graham. Cosmos is an executive director at ICS and serves as head of America's sustainability advisory team, and he's responsible for ICS's sustainability consulting strategy. Cosmos is an adjunct professor at Loyola University's School of Business and Management. Jude is a sustainability advisor at ICS on the energy, materials, utilities, and real estate team. And prior to joining ICS, Jude was an active duty linguist in the US Navy. The general topic of sustainability has been evolving over the years, and we will learn more about its journey and the role various stakeholders play in driving it. We will cover many concepts, such as double versus single materiality, shareholder primacy, the role of corporations, what ESG reporting is all about, and finally, the world of ESG ratings. Jude and Cosmos, welcome to ESG Unlocked. Thank you. Thanks, Pamela. So I often see the terms sustainability and ESG used interchangeably, although they're definitely not the same thing. May you help our listeners understand the clear difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sustainability is a much broader concept. Really, it's a mindset on fostering long-term success, whether that's at the business level, whether that's at the community level or the national level. ESG is a set of principles that allows us to translate that mindset into a business setting. Let's just translate it into corporate speak, so to say. So sustainability is more so a mindset and then ESG is really a function of measuring elements of how sustainable some, a company could be. Right. It's a way of putting it into business terms to speak of the value that we're bringing to the business, the value that we're bringing to customers, to shareholders in a way that is sustainable for that long-term success and long-term growth. Okay. Now, Cosmos, when did sustainability really start? I understand it's a mindset for fostering long-term success. Now let's explore the history of this mindset. Pamela, yeah, we've been through various stages in terms of how we have defined sustainability from a business standpoint and, uh, you know, some watershed moments that have really allowed us to think of the concept of sustainability management, sustainability reporting very differently. There's been a lot of uh, engagement, advocacy work to measure or at least create greater awareness of business impacts on society and the environment going back many decades. One very prominent campaign was from the 1980s uh, in relation to the apartheid regime in, in South Africa, where uh, several endowments and other investor groups effectively worked towards divestment from, from assets uh, invested in this area. But um, overall, the debate has dramatically shifted in the past 15 years. So historically, considerations around environmental and social issues were a values-based consideration. Now we are moving to economic value-oriented thinking of these issues and a more standardized approach in terms of both management and reporting. To give you a more concrete indication of how things changed, the financial crisis of 2008 was a watershed moment. It really 
made us all think about sustainable business practices and how they can have an impact on society and, and the economy as a whole. In the financial crisis, there were governance uh, implications, executive compensation, customer product quality, and, and customer issues that led to significant effects to the entire economic system. Since then, we began looking at corporate events in a very different way, meaning that they were no longer isolated incidents, but they were potential opportunities for improvement in business practices to create more sustainable value creation. So followed by the financial crisis, we had the oil spill in the Gulf with BP and other companies really being affected uh, with uh, fines, litigation, and uh, other financial impact. So there was one more data point to support that these issues matter financially. There were multiple other instances, the Fukushima disaster in, the, in Japan in 2011. There were you know, several data breaches uh, that had also uh, material impacts on companies. 2015, another watershed moment was the climate agreement in Paris, which uh, really drove the debate further towards a common goal, a concrete uh, objective to mitigate climate impacts. And we are continuing to see progress in this area with more initiatives at the company level, but also at a higher level. The third watershed moment has been the, the pandemic, where there's been a lot of focus on the, the social impacts of uh, business including uh, human capital management, racial equity, and other topics. So at this stage, we do not need any more proof points to know that there is material financial impacts to companies and uh, to society, but we're effectively working towards standardized reporting, uh, standardized ways of understanding how companies can manage these issues. Yeah, great journey there explaining where sustainability has stemmed from and how it's becoming such a normalized concept. How should companies understand what is material to their business? Yeah, materiality is really at the core of all sustainability reporting when we're speaking with corporate issuers. Sustainability attempts to help companies identify and manage key issues that can influence their ability to create long-term value, uh, be sustainable into the future, like I mentioned earlier. And so this depends on a number of things, their business model, their geography, their overall industry. So some ESG topics are going to be more material than others as, as that regards risk exposure and these companies' opportunity to make positive impact. There have been studies that have shown that companies who focus on material ESG topics, rather than just trying to go through a check the box exercise, mm -hmm. but focusing on things that, that matter to their specific business, they outperform financially rather than those companies who do go through that non-material issue, check the box type of exercise. And they're many different ways to identify those material issues, whether they're going to have direct financial impacts, stakeholder concerns that are brought up to corporate issuers, industry norms, product innovation, and government regulation as well. So basically what I'm hearing is that the companies that are very intentional, right, about where ESG matters for them, where the value is, where the risk is, are the ones that typically outperform. 
Absolutely. And I can give you an example, you know, in, in my line of work, I work with energy and utility companies. And so government regulation is a large concern. And this is probably more material when it comes to fossil fuels, when it comes to emissions, than say a telecommunications firm who maybe doesn't have that type of outsized impact on emissions. Just to add one uh, thought here, and I think it goes back to the history that we talked about and also definitions of sustainability. To uh, Jude's point regarding focusing on material issues and not necessarily applying a check-the-box exercise. So historically, sustainability reporting was associated with more of a communications effort and stakeholder engagement or community giving, donations, philanthropy, which are all important elements of sustainability, but corporate social responsibility is indeed a different concept vis-a-vis what's actually, you know, most relevant to the business. So the examples that Jude mentioned concerning most relevant areas that are part of the day-to-day of the organization and how that translates into material impacts are crucial in understanding how to manage. How does the concept of double materiality apply here? I've heard this concept before. May you help all listeners understand what that is? In the United States, uh, reporting has typically focused on so-called single materiality, which really focuses on how these various ESG topics are affecting a firm's bottom line. European and Asian markets, uh, especially when it comes to regulating some of these disclosures, have focused on double materiality, which focuses both on that bottom line for the firm, as well as the wider impact on the environment and society. And reporting in the U.S. is also trending in this direction towards this concept of double materiality. An example, again, leaning back on the work that we do with utility companies, looking at how heat wave might affect their business. In single materiality reporting, they may look at the cost to upgrade infrastructure. They may look at the cost for days missed by their employees, and that's single materiality. Uh, Double materiality is also going to ask how that aging infrastructure might impact the environment. Are we going to get a loose power line that causes a wildfire? Are we going to have to raise rates on disadvantaged communities? that's going to have broader societal impacts. And that's that concept of double materiality at work. Okay, so double materiality is more so a 360 degree impact assessment. Absolutely. Now, the way we view companies and their overall societal impact, like we just talked about, is changing. How would you describe that, Cosmos? Help us understand your view here on the role of corporations. So, and in some circles, I guess it may sound a bit esoteric, but there is an ongoing debate regarding the role of the corporation. Historically, and also in line with corporate law, the primary stakeholder, the group that the corporation is accountable to, it's a shareholder. So the corporation exists to make profits, and this is the so-called shareholder primacy concept. But we are seeing, by taking into account all these externalities, impacts on society, This concept may be evolving so that the alternative view would be a stakeholder-oriented approach to business. Now, these two, by stakeholder, we would uh, take into account communities, the employees, the environment, and uh, all these other components that the company can have an impact on, as we discussed with the, the concept of double materiality. 
these two views should not be seen in uh, opposition to each other. I think mm-hmm. uh, ultimately we will end up somewhere in the middle, whereas I think there's a recognition, as we said, with material being an issue that over the long term can affect the value of the organization, the value creation of the business, hence affecting the bottom line of the organization as well. So by having significant impacts on different stakeholders, this is another consideration that would be incorporated in the shareholder value calculation. Increasingly, there is a greater recognition that business can have an impact on society, and ultimately that comes back to how a company defines its mission, its purpose, Mm -hmm. and impact becoming another part of the equation, being, uh, let's say, the the next frontier of sustainability beyond risk management within the four walls of the organization. How does that also combine with risk and profitability? Let's explore these various stakeholders, right? We're, We're understanding and acknowledging the fact that The stakeholders do impact the value, and the value impacts the bottom line. Who are they? Yes, Cosmos mentioned, first and foremost, you do have your shareholders. You have your investors. You have large asset managers who are focusing on that long-term value creation, large pension funds that are focusing on that long-term value. You also have activist investors and boutique firms that are pushing certain topics or focus areas that they want to focus on, but they have an interest in that as shareholders. Then you have customers. We are in business. We are selling products and services to customers. And there are changing consumer preferences. And those are trending towards more environmentally and socially friendly products and services. And then there are some that we don't, that we may not immediately think of, but but we should consider, such as regulators. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has proposed climate-related disclosure rules. You have international regulators for companies that are operating in multiple jurisdictions. You also have employees. People make an organization what it is, Mm -hmm. and employees do bring personal beliefs and values to work with them that they expect their employer to put into practice. And finally, you have business partners, and we're seeing this, these expectations rise through these various supplier and partner codes of conduct or contracts, whereby a company may push another company to act in accordance with their values. Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, the, The supply chain network, right? Who do you support? Who are you affiliated with? As we already discussed, sustainability is an evolving topic. And that naturally comes with risks and opportunities, of course. So let's explore some of the various types of risks and opportunities for companies on their sustainability journey. When thinking of risk and opportunity, it does tie very well with the stakeholder discussion, the drivers for sustainability. If we think of investors, for example, there's a significant opportunity for companies for greater access to capital. There are new pools of capital looking for sustainable solutions, uh, investment solutions that help better mitigate the environmental and social risks, as well as potentially even uh, contribute to innovative ways towards a sustainable future. And on the risk side, by being very cognizant of sustainability areas of exposure, Jude mentioned the activism component. So you are protecting against potentially facing shareholder activism. And by taking all these different stakeholder groups into account, I think we'll see a lot of these opportunities 
and you know risk management strategies. Uh, I will just mention briefly just on, on some of the, the, the most relevant areas. Uh, with employees, you have better access to capital. With uh, business partners, uh, you have better access to business opportunities since there is a growing demand for you know, sustainable products and, and sustainable practices from supply chain providers. It's almost like a coin uh, with those two sides, the risk and opportunity, but ultimately it can help improve a company's management on both fronts. Absolutely, Cosmos. And to expand on the topic of risk versus opportunity, something that stood out to me while I was preparing for my FSA credential about a year ago was that the correlation between ESG ratings across different providers is around 0.3. And when you compare that to credit ratings, where the correlation between ratings for at least the leading agencies is around 0.9, which is clearly a high overlap there. And you know, when I was exploring the huge gap for ESG ratings, I came to understand that it's partly due to rating agencies using different indicators, the scope is different, and so is the weight of the data they collect as they establish these ratings. That's something I'd like us to dig into right now. Examples of ESG ratings using some of those issued by ISS. Let's take the ISS ENS quality score and the ISS ESG corporate rating score and compare those two to one another. Jude, how does one approach processing all of this information from various agencies that sometimes seem to have low correlation? First, I would start by saying credit ratings are a much narrower view of, you know, an individual's credit history or a company's credit history or city or, you know, whoever we're rating. ESG is such a broad topic area, and each of these rating agencies and each of these scores, ratings, rankings, they're looking at a corporate issuer through various lenses. And so we'll take the, the ISS ratings for an example. Looking at the ENS quality score, this particular rating is looking at the quality of disclosure and transparency that corporations have in their environmental and social reporting. And this is a, a signal to investors that they can look and say, well, you know, this company has a higher score. They probably have more information available that I can go and look before I make my investment decision. The ISS ESG corporate rating uh, is looking both at that transparency as well as the performance of a company in these various ESG topics that are determined material for their particular industry grouping. So this is looking at a company's overall sustainability posture. The best example, or the one that I like to give, is greenhouse gas emissions. The ENS quality score is going to look at a company and say, does this company disclose their greenhouse gas emissions? Yes or no. Is this information available to the investor community that they can go and make a determination on their own? The corporate rating is going to go a step further. It's going to ask that yes or no question, but then it's going to ask things like, is there a trend here? Are, they, are their emissions trending upward or downwards? Uh, are they in line with industry standards? Are they in line with government expectations, international norms? So it's going to be much more in-depth than in that way and measuring a slightly different view. Both of these methodologies get used by the investor community to gauge a company's ESG posture. 
it's important to keep in mind that these are just single tools that these investors are using in tandem with other ratings and rankings with their own analysis. These large asset managers have, have in-house analysts that are, that are making determinations to make these investment decisions. Well, that's very helpful in understanding the two there. And there, there are a lot more other ratings and ranking companies that issue these ratings as well. And it's, it's good to understand I, that there are different ways of looking at it. So Cosmos, do you, do you have anything you would like to add there? Yeah, I think the comparison to credit ratings is interesting. To Jude's point, the very reason there's a recognition for the need for um, these types of solutions and a better understanding of sustainability was because of how narrow the focus had been among credit ratings. Uh, and, And going back to the discussion around the financial crisis, many of the credit ratings effectively did not see the risk, the governance risk in particular, associated with incentive structures and predatory lending and and other issues. So it's a more dynamic field. It's a very, still uh, an area of development and ultimately different, as Jude mentioned, different ratings may have different theses, different perspectives, and those views can be complementary to each other and and Mm -hmm. may allow for a fuller understanding of risk and opportunity. So the fact that there is no significant or strong correlation, I would see that as probably not necessarily a bad thing. I think it helps us gain fuller perspective. I agree. It's not necessarily a bad thing at all to be able to have more information from different vantage points to make a more informed decision. So Cosmos and Jude, I think this would be a perfect point for us to conclude the episode. So I'd like to briefly summarize the main highlights from our conversation for our listeners. And I'll start by noting how great it is to observe the progress in this space and how ESG metrics are being identified and leveraged as a function of enterprise risk management to create sustainable value in the long term. We explored um, the concept of sustainability and its journey so far with a few watershed moments highlighted over the last several decades, including the 2008 financial crisis where we identified that governance as a function of ESG was severely compromised. We also explored the concept of double versus single materiality in assessing a company's impact on various stakeholders. We talked about various risks and opportunities for companies as they go about their sustainability journey. And finally, we demystified the differences we see with various ESG rating companies and how to leverage them effectively. Jude and Cosmos, this was such an informative conversation. Thank you both for joining us here at ESG Unlocked. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Pamela. It's a great pleasure. This was ESG Unlocked, brought to you by ISS Corporate Solutions. And as your host, I appreciate you listening in and encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, as our mission is to help you better understand the ESG landscape. And please subscribe to get an alert for new episodes and follow ISS Corporate Solutions on LinkedIn for webinars and insightful thought leadership pieces as we continue to explore and unlock the value of ESG.